It is a joy for me uh, to be back with you. And uh, last week, I uh, shared with you uh, the story of Moses' call. Uh, God called Moses to be a part of his rescue plan. He brought his people up out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he brought them into a land of promise. But Moses, remember, was a man who was full of doubts and full of questions. And he gave excuse after excuse, doubting uh, God, doubting himself, doubting that God was even able to work with somebody like him. And so, God spoke to Moses and he answered every one of those objections, every excuse, and he reminded Moses that the call of God always brings the equipping of God. The call of God always brings the enabling of God. And so, Moses the reluctant, Moses the man of a thousand excuses, steps out with God. And he began an incredible journey of faith. And you can uh, read the rest of the story. You can follow in his footsteps as you keep reading in the book of Exodus and the next three books, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, you can uh, read how he was a faithful man and he became known as a hero of faith. And I want us to take a look today at his life. What did it look like for this man of God, this hero of faith, to live a life of faith day by day? And uh, as you can tell from the Scripture, I'm throwing you a bit of a curveball. We won't be reading out of the Old Testament today. We'll be reading out of the New Testament in the, uh, the book of Hebrews. And of course, the writer of the book of Hebrews gave us chapter 11. It's what's known as the Hall of Faith. And so we, uh, we read the stories of all of these men and women of faith, uh, how their lives stood out from Abel all the way through the prophets. And their stories are meant to encourage us and to guide us, you and me, Christians all over the world, so we can live faithful lives of our own. And I, I want to invite you uh, to get out a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. Uh, Moses has been dead a long time. Uh, probably uh, 1,500 or 1,600 years. And so the writer of Hebrews is looking back at his life. What were the defining moments in Moses' life? Where did the faith of this man Moses really shine? And as we go through these verses together... Uh, I want us to discover six uh, principles that can help us live lives of faith in our own generation. So, here's the first principle. Number one, choose to live for the right kingdom. Choose to live for the right kingdom. And uh, I'll read from... Verse 
Here's what the uh, Word of God tells us. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now think back to uh, the early days of Moses' life. What do we know? Moses was born a Hebrew. His people were slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh began to worry. God helped uh, his people to flourish. And so Pharaoh uh, felt that the Hebrews were growing too fast. They were becoming a threat. And so he gives an order that every baby boy that's born throughout the country is to be put to death. But God has a different plan. And so he preserves Moses. Remember the story of uh, how he's put in that uh, uh, little little ark in the water. And he's carried along and he's discovered by, guess who? Pharaoh's daughter. And so he becomes a part of the family of Pharaoh. He's brought up in Pharaoh's house. So think about what it was like for Moses growing up. He's eating Egyptian food. He's wearing Egyptian clothes. When he sits down at the dinner table, he's eating the best and the finest of what Egypt has to provide. He's getting an Egyptian education. And he hobnobbed with all of Egypt's rich and famous. But when the call of God came, Moses had to choose sides. Was he a Hebrew or was he an Egyptian? Which one of those had his loyalty? Which one had his devotion? Which one had his heart? And verse 24 gives us the answer. What it says is, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected Egypt. And he clung instead to his true heritage. He belonged to the people of God. I want to share something that uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul's writing about you and me. And here's what he says. So then you, point at yourself, you... Are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What he's saying is that when you were saved by faith in Jesus, we changed our citizenship. We became citizens of heaven. And our loyalty, our devotion, our heart, all of them belong to God. See, like Moses, we have to reject our citizenship in the world. The fact is, we don't belong to the world any longer. There is no dual citizenship when it comes to spiritual things. There's a story in the Old Testament where Elijah confronts 400 prophets of Baal. You may remember the story. He gathers all of the people of God together and he asks them a question. He's really blunt. 
He says, how long will you waver between the two? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If it's Baal, follow Him. You have to choose. You have to plant your feet firmly one place or the other. Which one will it be? And I think as Christians, most of us would agree with that intellectually. But now that we're good friends, let me pry a little bit, okay? If you pulled up the search history on your computer or your iPhone, what would it say about which kingdom you're living for? If you actually kept track of how you spent your time yesterday, where you went, what you did, what you said, what would it say about which kingdom you're living for? If you took a long, hard look at your bank statement, the checks you write, what would it say about which kingdom you're living for? See, I'm afraid too many times we're all talk. We like to say we're heaven-born and heaven-bound, but do we really live like it? Or do we live like our citizenship is on planet Earth? See, that's... That's the trap we fall into. Living for ourselves, dangling our hands and dangling our feet where they don't belong. See, if you want to be a man or a woman of faith, you have to follow Moses' lead. He said yes to God and no to the world. And it was a full-throttled yes. Moses was all in for the kingdom. And we should be too. If we want to be faithful like Moses, we have to choose to live for the right kingdom. And then number two, I want us to see that we understand that God works through suffering. God works through suffering. Moses said yes to God and God's kingdom, and he stepped out in faith. But I can tell you, it wasn't all rosy after that. You know the story. He was mocked and rejected by Pharaoh. And then he was pursued by Pharaoh's army. And even his own people were doubting his honesty, his integrity, his ability to lead. Verse 25 tells us, That he chose these things. Listen to this. Choosing, choosing instead to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses chose to suffer the indignities. Moses chose to suffer the mistreatment knowing that God was still in control. God is God in the good times and God is God in the bad times and He's still worthy to be praised. Can we embrace that? I mean, can we live like that? Can we praise God for who He is instead of 
what's happening in our lives, the circumstances of the moment, good times, bad times, it shouldn't matter. He's still God. And He's still worthy of your praise and your affection and your devotion. Can you live like that? And I think of Job. What a tragic story. Job loses everything. Everything that mattered in his life. His, uh, his children, his possessions, all of his flocks and herds. And he was afflicted with this terrible disease so that he had boils from his head to his feet. And his wife wasn't much help. His wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Be done with it. But Job asked a question. And it's a question that every one of us should really ask. Job chapter 2, verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil. Job said, look, who am I to accept the good things from God's hand and then turn my back when the adversities and the hard times come? The fact is, you and I live in a fallen world. I hope you realize that. This world is afflicted by sin and the curse. And there's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be suffering. But we know, we know that God is faithful. We keep our eyes on God. We trust His goodness. We trust His faithfulness to see us through those hard times. Moses understood that Living a faithful life means choosing to face the hardships and clinging to God. You keep going. You keep walking. Not because you're strong and brave, but because the one you're clinging to is strong and brave. And He's always working for your good. God works through suffering. Think about it. God works through famine to reunite Joseph with his family and to keep them safe. God worked through hunger and thirst and 40 years of wandering to teach the people of God what it looks like to be faithful and to trust God for everything. Before uh, he took the throne, David was on the run. Remember, he was uh, living from hand to mouth. There was a death warrant over his head. But God worked through those things to make sure that his heart was right before he became king. And God worked through a cross. The agony and the suffering and the death of his own son to make salvation possible for a lost and a dying world. With eyes of faith, you and I, as the people of God, we look beyond the suffering and we see God and we see the work of God and we can face the suffering as faithful men and women clinging to Him. If we want to be faithful like Moses, we have to understand that God works 
through suffering. Number three, if you're keeping count. Number three is that we are to keep a heavenly focus. Keep a heavenly focus. Back to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 26 tells us this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses suffered the reproach of Christ. What's that? What does that mean? Well, we can look at a few other translations and get an idea. Uh, The New uh, International Version says disgrace. The uh, New Living Translation says suffering. The Revised Standard Version says abuse. Living for Christ brings reproach. Living in a way that honors and glorifies God brings disgrace, suffering, and abuse. Jesus said it would. Do you remember? John chapter 15. Jesus is gathered with his closest friends in the upper room. And in verse 20, he says, Oh, there it is. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> I'm an old man. I need better glasses. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You can pick up a copy of the uh, Voice of the Martyrs magazine or go to their website and you can... Read how Christians all over the world are being persecuted for their faith. Some of them are thrown in jail and tortured. Some of them are killed simply for confessing that they're believers in Jesus. And even here in America, Christians are under attack in the media. Everywhere you look, Christians are being silenced and marginalized. And Moses suffered too. His, uh, his faith and his calling were attacked. He was the laughing stock every time he showed up in Pharaoh's court. But the curious thing is that Moses wasn't affected by any of these things. In fact, what Scripture tells us is he thought of them as a trophy. In Moses' eyes, all of the disgrace and the suffering and the abuse he experienced for the sake of his call, was worth more than all the treasures of Egypt. Why could he say that? Why in the world could Moses say that? Because he was looking forward to the reward. He was keeping a heavenly focus, and he wasn't going to let any earthly trials and troubles distract him from what he knew was important. Paul says the same thing in Colossians Chapter 3, 
verses 1, 2, and 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, if we belong to Jesus, we've been raised with Him. He's enthroned in the heavenlies, and that's exactly where our focus should be, on heavenly things. We set our minds and our affections on heaven, knowing that we're engaged in heavenly work right here. We may be on earth, but God has given us heavenly work to do, and everything in our lives should point to heaven. I love what uh, John Maxwell says about these verses. As a compass points north, the believer's entire disposition should point itself to the things of heaven. Is that true in your life? Are your eyes looking down? Bob said no, they should be looking up, right? We're not earthbound, we're looking up. We keep our eyes uh, with heaven in our sights. See, our, our hope and our help come from heaven. Our meaning and the purpose for our lives, they come from heaven. And our joy and our sense of fulfillment come from heaven. Jesus said He's preparing a place for us. Guess what? It's a heavenly place. And in the fullness of time, He'll take us to our heavenly home. And as the people of God, we keep our eyes up. We keep heaven in our view. And our hearts and our minds and all of our lives should point like an arrow to the King of glory. If you want to be faithful like Moses, we have to keep a heavenly focus. Number four, we overcome fear with faith. Verse 27, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. That's interesting, isn't it? He wasn't afraid of the king. Now you have to understand that when Moses appeared before Pharaoh, he was literally face to face with the most powerful man in the world. Here was Moses. He's a murderer. He's a runaway. He's the son of a slave. And he's standing in the throne room of the king. He had every right to be afraid. And then he was pursued by Pharaoh's army. The biggest, most powerful army the world had ever seen. Horses, chariots, shields, Spears, the finest weapons that had ever been forged. Moses had every right to be afraid. Fear is natural. Okay? We can't see into the future as much as we would like to think we can. Uh, things sometimes are outside of our control. Did you know that? <laughs> and we respond with fear. 
I was recently uh, reading in a magazine how fear can affect us. It's, it's devastating. It has consequences. If, if we live in fear, it can affect our physical health. It causes ulcers, heart damage. It weakens our immune system so we get sicker. It affects us mentally too. It affects our memory, our emotion. It even affects the way that our brain processes information. That's the power of fear in our lives. But we have a weapon against fear. And it's called faith. Fear is natural, but faith is supernatural. And as the people of God, faith is a part of our inheritance. Do you realize that? Faith is ours for the asking. Turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 13 for just a moment. The writer of Hebrews helps us see how all of this fits together. Hebrews 13, in verse 5, he reminds us of the wonderful promise that Jesus gave us. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And then, this is what he says in verse 6. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So what's the key to overcoming fear? It's taking God at His Word. If you're as old as I am and you have a little gray on the roof, you probably remember going to church and singing uh, the old favorite, Standing on the Promises, right? That's what He's telling us here. God made a promise. Remember that promise and stand on it. The all-powerful God of the universe is with you. You're in His hands. You're in His care. Now walk in faith, not fear. Moses understood that. And many, many times in his life, he found himself in impossible situations. But he didn't surrender to fear. He remembered God. He remembered the faithfulness of God. He remembered the promises that God made. And that's where he stood. And that's where he put his trust. And if you and I want to have a living faith that will help us overcome fear in our own lives, do what Moses did. Know that God is with you. That's his promise. That's a reality in your life as a believer in Jesus. He's not leaving. He's by your side now and always. And He is your help. And just like the writer of Hebrews said, I will not fear because I know who my helper is. I will not fear. If you want to be a man or a woman of faith like Moses, we overcome fear with faith. A living faith. Number five. Keep your eyes on the invisible God. Verse uh, 27, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. Here's what the end of it says. For he endured, Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
That can make your head swim, right? Moses was faithful because he saw the one who was invisible. What does that mean? Okay. Uh, I want you to time travel with me. I want you to go back to Bible times. And you're in charge of a city. And your job is to protect the city. What do you do? Well, the first thing you do is build a wall, right? So you build a big, strong wall as tall as you can. And then you build a tower. A watch tower. And then you assign somebody who's going to stand in the tower 24-7. You put a watchman in the watch tower and I'll bet you can guess what his job was. That's right. He had one job. Okay? His job was to watch, to keep his eyes peeled to look for any sign of danger to the city. This isn't the 21st century, okay? There weren't spy satellites. Um, There's not infrared cameras that's going to pick up the movements of the enemy. You can't turn on the nightly news or CNN and find out what's happening. Everything rested on the watchman. I think Moses had a watchman's mentality. Moses knew that God was going to move, God was going to speak, and he watched. He watched with expectancy. I've told you before, I'm an Old Testament nut, so bear with me. You may not remember Habakkuk, but you'll meet him in heaven, get to know his name. He'll be there. When you shake his hand, you don't want to mispronounce his name, okay? He was one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And he was struggling with a question. He didn't understand how God could be using the Babylonians to bring judgment against his people. The Babylonians were wicked and cruel and awful. And Habakkuk could not wrap his brain around the idea that a righteous God would be using this unholy, unrighteous, wicked mob to spank the people of God. And so he was asking hard questions. And in uh, chapter 2, verse 1 of Habakkuk, here's what he said. It's a wonderful verse. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk said, I'm just like a watchman. I'm standing at my post in the tower and I'm waiting for God's answer. I'm staying right here. I'm watching. I'm listening. I am not going anywhere until I hear what God has to say. So let me ask you a question. Are you a watchman? Are you watching for God to move? Are you listening for the things that God has to say? Is watching and waiting and listening, is that part of your spiritual DNA? See, I'm convinced that sometimes we miss 
God's answers to our prayers? Because we aren't watching. I'm convinced that sometimes God might be moving us in a different direction and we miss it because we're not watching. And we can't afford to miss God. What He's saying and what He's doing in our lives is much too important for us to miss. I want to share a quote with you from Charles Stanley. Eyes focused on the Lord are open to a new perspective. Your faith will grow as you begin to discern His activity in your life. The joy and excitement of seeing His involvement in both big and small areas will motivate you to praise and thank Him even in the hard times. Moses saw the invisible God. And you and I can too if we'll devote ourselves to watching and listening with expectancy. And then number six. I'm running out of fingers. Number six. Faithfully do what God gives you to do. Let me read these last couple of verses from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. God brought ten plagues against the Egyptians. Ten plagues. And the last one was the plague of death. The angel of death would pass through the whole country, striking the firstborn of every household. But God promised to spare His people. They were told to mark their doors with the blood of the Lamb and God would rescue them. And by faith, Moses led the people in keeping the first Passover. And after that, Moses led the people through the desert all the way to the Red Sea. And they were trapped, remember? The sea on one side and Pharaoh's army on the other. But God promised another rescue. And by faith, Moses led the people of God as they crossed safely from one side to the other. Moses did the work that he was given to do. Can you honestly say that that's true in your own life? Are you faithful to do what God gives you to do? And I know you may be sitting in your pew and you're thinking, look, I'm not Moses. Uh, God's not asked me to rescue anybody. None of this really applies to me. Well, can I share a verse with you? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Here's uh, Paul writing to all of us. Every one of us sitting in a pew today. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, the truth is, every believer in Jesus has work to do. God-given work. I think I said it a few weeks ago. God didn't save you to sit on your holy hands. That's not the plan. The plan is for you to serve. That's why He gives His people a servant's heart. So that you can be hands and feet working and serving. Paul says that that our lives as believers should abound in the work of the Lord. What a great word it is too. I looked it up uh, in a, a Greek dictionary. It means overflowing. Superabounding. Is that what your life looks like? You know, is it like the, the popcorn popper that just <laughs> explodes? You just can't stop it? You can't contain it? Saying yes to God whenever He calls, joining God wherever He's working, is that you? See, being faithful in God's work begins by saying yes. And it means letting His work overflow in our lives. But there's more. And, and I want to challenge you with this Verse One more verse as I bring all of this to a close. Paul really shares his heart in the, the book of Philippians. And he says, The absolute deepest desire of my heart is to know Jesus. Nothing else mattered as far as Paul was concerned. Everything else in his life, even the good things, he said it's garbage. Throw it away. It's garbage. Compared to knowing Jesus, it's garbage. Compared to walking with Jesus, it's garbage. Compared to growing with Jesus, it's garbage. And then he says this. I'm reading this out of the uh, the NIV. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul remembered what his life was like before he was saved. He said, it's like a man dangling over the edge of a cliff. And Jesus reached down and he grabbed me! He grabbed me and He wouldn't let go. He said, Jesus saved me that day. And He saved me for a purpose. There's a God-given plan for me. I want to know what that plan is. I want to pray about it. I want to find out what it is that God has for me. And whatever that thing is, I'm going to reach down. And I'm going to grab it. (laughs) Just like He grabbed me. And I'm not going to let go. Is that your heart cry? Is that your deep desire today? Maybe you've said yes to God. You're, you're doing the work that He's given you to do, but, but there's no passion. See, I think God's looking for men and women with a heart like Paul's. That's willing to say, God, I'm grabbing onto your work. I'm, I'm grabbing it fearlessly. I'm grabbing it desperately. 
I'm grabbing it with both hands, God, and I am not letting go. Is that you today? That's the man, that's the woman of faith that God is looking for. A true servant. A true servant of God. As we uh, come to a close, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to be honest. This is between you and God. First of all, do you have a real personal relationship with Jesus? I didn't ask if you come to church. I didn't ask if you're raised in a Christian home. I didn't ask if your name's on a membership list. Do you know Jesus? Did you come to a point in your life where you said, Yes, Jesus, I am a sinner. I am desperately dangling over the edge of a cliff and I need you to save me. I need you to grab onto me and not let go. If not, it can happen today. This can be your day of salvation. And if you are a Christian, are you like Moses? See, God gives us this amazing picture of Moses' life so that we can learn how to be a Moses in our generation. God wants men and women to rise up in every generation and to serve with a heart like Moses. I hope and I pray that God stirred your heart in some way. Are you living for the right kingdom? Are you living fearlessly because you know that God's with you? Do you have a faith that's watching and waiting because you want to see what the invisible God is doing in your midst? And are you clinging passionately, desperately to the work that He's given you because you know that that's His plan for you and you want to faithfully live it out? I pray that it is. Would you stand and I'm, I'm going to have a word of prayer and then uh, we'll have a song of invitation. I thank you, Jesus, for... Your Word. It's the inspired, inerrant, living, active Word of God. And I pray that Your Holy Spirit would move among us now. God, help us to tear down the walls. Help us to tear off the masks and to be honest with You. And God, if there are decisions today that have to be made, give us the, uh, the, the strength, the will, the desire, God, to say yes to You, to speak to You, God, face to face. We praise You. We love You. We look forward to what You'll do in our midst. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.